Religion and medicine, they were once very close, and for some doctors they still are. Join me as I speak with a pediatrician whose Muslim faith brings him closer to compassionate medical practice. You're listening to Reach MDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Hafiz Rayman, a pediatrician and president-elect of the Islamic Medical Association of North America. Welcome, Hafiz. Thank you. Is that true about, pre- are you president-elect? President-elect. That means I'll be the next president. Good. Wanted to make sure we got that right. Yes. Uh, okay. First of all, tell us about yourself and about your career. Okay. I was born in Kenya, East Africa. The family moved from Pakistan to Africa about 200 years ago. So we were born and brought up there. And then I went to medical school in Pakistan, went back home for my internship, and after that migrated to the United States and have been in New York since then. That was from 1975 onwards. I specialized in pediatrics. I'm a board-certified pediatrician in private practice in Long Island, New York, a town known as Bayshore. I am extensively involved with the Islamic Medical Association of North America, which is of a national organization of Muslim physicians. I'm also the president of the local mosque here, which is known as Masjid Darul Quran in Bashar. It's one of the largest, if not the largest, congregation of Muslims on Long Island. There's a council of mosques on Long Island also, which at the present time, I'm the president. Okay. You know, you're kind of in a mixed community here, correct? It's not an all-Muslim community. There's you've got a lot of Jewish patients and Christian patients. The Muslims on Long Island. My patient population, 95% are non-Muslims. They are Christians and Jews. So how does your faith interweave here in your practice? Well, that's very interesting because I think faith, religious faith, spirituality makes you a better doctor. Your service to your patients, your service to your fellow human beings improves when you have that aspect in your life too. So I have always uh, had uh, great support from from uh, spirituality, from faith, from religion, and I think it makes me a much better pediatrician than others. Do you think it helps you not just with the tough cases or the, the terminally ill patients where it really steps in, but do you use it on a day-by-day basis? It was It's a wonderful article about you in American Medical News, and I think this was beautiful. You said, when I walk in the exam room, in my heart, I always say a prayer. That is very true, and that has become a habit. If I start to eat food, I'll say a little prayer. If I sit in the car, I'll say a little prayer. And just as much as I walk into the patient's room, I have five examining rooms, there's a little prayer in each room on the wall too. But it's become such a nice habit with me that I will say, Bismillah rahman rahim translated that I start in the name of one God who is most merciful, who is most gracious and most merciful. So that's become a habit. And sometimes patients do ask me, you know, I said, you said something, you know, and I said, you know, this is what it is, and it's on the wall too. And that makes me a much better physician, a much better person, and my patients love it. I will tell you that I have seen patients who have been to another pediatrician, and simple thing like, you know, otitis media, tonsillitis, for some reason, not getting better. They'll come to me, and I may prescribe the same medicine, but with, with that little additional prayer. They will get better. And this is my experience all these years. I think that that's terrific. It really is kind of a moment of gratitude. I try and thank every patient for coming to see me, and I'm grateful that I am a doctor and can help that. 
What specifically, can you tell us, what does the Quran say, if anything, about medical practice? Is there anything in there for us? Oh, yes. There is a tremendous amount of science, especially embryology, in the Quran. The Quran goes 1,400 years ago when we knew very little about the different steps of development, right, starting from the fertilization and how, you know, it is then attached to the wall of the uterus, how it grows, and when God actually blows his spirit into the new being that will, you know, be in this world. So it goes into great detail of that, and uh, theologians and scholars of Islam, you know, have, uh, have discussed this in great detail, and uh, it's very fulfilling when you see that actually happen. You know, you see today on the sonogram the same exact things that the Quran is talking about. It goes step by step how the development takes place. And obviously, you know, Muhammad was not a scientist. He was not a doctor. He, in fact, was totally uneducated. And this was revelation from Gabriel that came to him. And uh, I think his uh, companions at that time probably, uh, this is my own personal feeling, that his companions probably didn't understand all this. Now that science has come a long way, embryology and the medical sciences have improved, we can now understand what that exactly meant. Well, according to the Quran, at what point does life start in a, in, a, in a fetus? There are two schools of thought, and I believe that at 120 days is when the actual God-sent uh, spirit is blown into the fetus. So what I've read from the Islamic Medical Association is that, however, Islam does not allow abortion, correct? Except to save the mother's life. That's right. Is there anything in the Quran that is in conflict with modern medical practice today? Really not. Really not. You know, you can have blood transfusions. You save another person's life. The Quran says it is as if you have saved the whole of humanity when you save another person's life both from the Qur'an and the traditions of the Prophet and the scholars. Organ transplants, they are allowed. You are allowed to give, you are allowed to take. You know, so wherever you can serve humanity, and humanity doesn't just mean a Muslim. It could be anybody. Yeah, that is perfectly allowed in Islam. Right, let's hold on for one second. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Hafiz Rayman, a pediatrician who brings his Muslim spirituality into his medical practice. I, I think this is fascinating, Hafiz. The article written about you, and we already mentioned, said that most of your patients are Christian and Jewish. Is that ever a problem for you? Have you ever felt animosity from some of your patients? Uh, Michael, no. You know, it has been uh, my good luck, I would say, that I have come to this beautiful land, and that was one of the best things that ever happened to me, where I could now interact so freely. You know, there's so much freedom, not only freedom of worship, but freedom of discussion. When you deal with educated patients, that's the most wonderful experience. And uh, I have learned a lot through this for myself about uh, other faiths, and I have shared my faith with my patients, with my friends, and we have a very active interfaith council in Bayshore that has furthered my education in this respect. So the other faiths, they respect me a lot. 95% of my patients are from other faiths. I invite them to the mosque often. They do come. The politicians, I interact with them too. They come, and uh, we have a really wonderful relationship here on Long Island. 
After 9-11, I took upon myself to make myself an ambassador of Islam and project the correct picture. I went to the schools, I went to the churches, to the synagogues, and said that, you know, our religion is being hijacked by a minority few, and we will not allow that. This is the correct Islam. Well, I think this is just not healing for your patients. It's healing for the community that you're practicing. Right, yes. So can you share with us some other instances where your faith has made a huge difference in patients and in, in any stories that you have for us? You know, in, in this article, there's a story of this one lady who lived a distance away from me, and uh, upon this insistence of the grandmother, they traveled, and they still travel, you know, a good distance to come to me. I think not because there are no other pediatricians in that area, because this uh, grandmother had some interaction with me, she had heard me, she uh, had heard from friends also, and uh, insisted that her daughter bring her child to me. And they do. And I think that was very fulfilling that they did that. I have patients uh, who have moved even out of state, and some of them, you know, they have relatives on Long Island. When they travel back, they'll come and pay me a courtesy visit, or they will say, we're going to schedule a well visit, you know, with your doc, if you don't mind, and see you. So, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there's something that attracts them, and I feel that's uh, just uh, my my good luck and my spirituality, my way of behaving with them, that brings them back. One of the things that I liked in reading the information from the Islamic Medical Association was their push for sensitivity toward Muslim patients. Can we talk about that? Um, when we're treating Muslim patients, what should we be aware of that we may not have been taught in medical school or along the way? Well, a large number of uh, uh, hospitals will see Muslim patients and uh, it is important to know a few basics. Uh, <clears throat> number one, dietary restrictions are very important. Uh, pork, ham, and any pig products are totally forbidden in Islam. So, you know, when offering food, uh, that has to be taken into consideration. Just like the principle of kosher meats, kosher, we have what's known as halal. Uh, now it is readily available in almost all big cities. There are halal stores which will cater uh, to the Muslims. So halal meals can be prepared. All airlines offer that now. You know, you just have to tell them that you need a Muslim meal and they will do it. So the hospitals should do that too. Okay, let me ask you one question. In case that it was not available, would a kosher meal do? A kosher meal can be substituted, yes. Also, you know, you could take a totally vegetarian meal. Right. You could take fish. You know, so those things are fully allowed. So it's not very difficult. It's just a matter of asking, you know, well, we see on your admission record that you're a Muslim. How can we help you with the meals? And uh, I think, you know, the Muslim patient will feel very good. Prayers. You know, we pray five times a day. And each time it's a two-minute thing or three-minute thing. A nurse may walk into the room and uh, see that the patient is bowing down or prostrating in a certain way. She may not know about it and may think, you know, the patient has collapsed. Or, and I, I mean, this is a true story where a nurse, you know, pulled the patient up while he was prostrating in prayer. He was annoyed. And then, of course, the nurse was uh, uh, told that this is the way they pray and, uh, and it should be allowed. And sometimes they 
are unable to do the physical prostration, so they may do it just uh, a motion with eyes, and at that point, the patient should not be disturbed because now he's in contact with God. And, and it's a very brief, short period. So when a Muslim prayer does get admitted to the hospital, if these few things are done, I think the, the outcome will be better, both for the hospital, the nurses, as well as the uh, patient. And at Good Samaritan Hospital Medical Center, I do once a year or twice a year uh, these sensitivity courses for the nurses, where a lot of residents and the physicians also attend. And uh, it's uh, mutually very benefiting for everybody. Hafiz, thanks for being our guest today and really sharing how your Muslim faith helps you not only in your practice, but can teach us all more patience, tolerance, and compassion. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMDXM is here for you, the health professionals who care for your patients. We welcome your questions and your comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library, including this show, and we truly thank you for listening. 